ending as we turn to our second scripture reading, which is taken from the book of Hebrews, continuing our path through this letter. We turn now to Hebrews 12, verses 3 through 11. This begins on page 1196 in the Bibles in front of you. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Our great God, thank you for loving us like a father. And we know that when scripture is read, it is our father who is speaking to us. And we pray that we would be good children, that we would listen well, that we'd listen with confidence that what you have to say is for our good, and you give us the humility to change when we realize that what you say doesn't go with what we think or what we do. We know that you can do this by the power of your spirit, and we pray you would, and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. We may have heard the word hangry. It's when you're cranky or angry because you're hungry, so hungry, angry, hangry. It's very clever, it's very clever. And the same thing can happen when you're sleep-deprived, as I'm sure you know. And apparently, some people want to call this slangry, but I'm not convinced. (laughs) It's just not nearly as clever. But it certainly is a reality. When you're tired, it is harder to think straight. It is harder to remember who your allies are. You're tempted to turn against the members of your own family. We become much more prickly, much more prone to nastiness, even to the people who really love us. We're also prone much more when we're tired to depression. We tend, when we're tired, to forget who we are. And we tend to forget, in particular, how loved we are. And of course, this isn't just true for physical tiredness. Physical tiredness is part of this, right? But we can also grow weary, even when our bodies are not necessarily weary, we can grow weary of soul. 
We can grow weary in a spiritual sense. So you can have all your sleep, and yet there's these troubles uh, that are afflicting you, maybe relational troubles or, or tr- struggles with sin, and it's getting to you. It's wearying you, and you are becoming weary, not so much in body, but you're becoming weary in soul. So just reality check for a moment. Are you today weary in body or soul or maybe both? Are you weary? Well, guess what? In our passage for today, the author of Hebrews is going to give you and me refreshment for our soul. So we won't grow weary or faint-hearted. That's the language there in verse 3. So you won't grow weary or faint-hearted. He gives us First, some explanations helping us to understand this idea of weariness of soul. How do we get there? How do, how do we, our souls get weary in soul? That's what we'll look at first. Then we'll look at how he refreshes us with the gospel. And then we'll see how we can stay refreshed on the long, long pilgrimage heavenward that we are on. So, thinking first about physical weariness... Reasons for that are pretty obvious most of the time, right? Usually it's overwork, not getting enough rest. Could also be a a medical disorder. But what about soul weariness? What does that come from? Where, Where do we get, how do we get soul weary? Well, there are at least three causes woven into this passage here that he talks about. One is hostility. Hostility is one reason for soul weariness. And he's talking here about Jesus when he says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And there's an analogy being made, right, between Jesus, he's enduring all this hostility, or he did endure all this hostility um, in, his, in his earthly ministry and up to the crucifixion. He endured all of that, and now he's reminding us of that because he's saying, I understand you all are going through the same, and you will be tempted just the same, to be faint-hearted and grow weary. And enduring hostility, especially unjust hostility, is very wearying, isn't it? It's very wearying to have people misunderstand you and mistreat you when you're just trying to honor the Lord. Um, You know, to look at you and your truth-speaking, you know, taking a stand for unpopular things, that you believe the Bible, that you believe gender is something that God assigns to us at birth, um, biblical teaching about marriage, and people don't like it, and they're saying you're a bigot. It's wearying. It's wearying to have people ridicule you because you won't join them in their sinful practices of foul language and drunkenness, and they're making fun of you as if the reason why you're not doing that is because you're thinking you're better than them. When it's not about that, you're just trying to honor the Lord, and you know that's wrong. And there's times when these kinds of hostility just keep coming at us. And, like, it's just so wrong, so unjust. Like, that's not why I'm doing this. You're totally misunderstanding me. It's wearying, and sometimes it feels like hate is going to win in the end. That the people who hate God and that the people who hate his word are going to have the final say and that nothing will hold back the tidal wave of sin that's crashing down on our culture and that's crashing down on us. Hostility is a great source of soul weariness. Second source of soul weariness is pain. And here I'm talking about pain of every kind. So verse 11 talks about how all discipline seems painful 
rather than pleasant. And part of what this whole passage is about is don't grow weary under the Lord's discipline. So what are the kinds of discipline God can send on us? What are the kinds of pain that God can send on us? Well, literally every kind of pain that can be experienced because it's all part of God's sovereign plan for you and me. So that means, you know, losing an opportunity, like not getting a job you really wanted or failing an exam or not getting into the school you wanted to go to or the difficulty of relational pain where people whom you trusted now are betraying you or turning against you um, or there's this conflict you can't resolve or the stress of anxiety that's weighing on us, right? As uh, the school year is coming to an end and this is a busy time of year. Stress of anxiety or the stress and the, the very difficult pain of losing someone whom you love. Or the pain of bad memories, things that happened long ago that are still with you. And then, of course, there's bodily pain, too. And some of this pain is nobody's fault. It's not like the hostility thing, right? Like if you have some chronic medical disorder because of, you know, genes or whatever, like nobody, nobody sinned to give you that. You didn't sin to get you that. And yet there you have it right? And it's just so important as we're thinking about pain as a source of soul weariness. Of course, it can be a source of physical weariness, but also soul weariness. We have to remember that our bodies are the contexts of our souls. Our bodies are the contexts of our souls. And so when our bodies, or really any other aspect of our life, is wearing us down, and we're just being grinded under this, this really difficult thing, well, then our souls can be affected. We, our souls can grow dim. We begin to question God's love. We, it becomes harder and harder to become, be joyful, and the light in our eyes start to extinguish. So there's hostility. There's pain of all kinds. Both of those can w- make us weary. Third, forgetfulness can make us weary of soul. Look at verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. And here he's wanting them to call to mind Proverbs 3. But I think also we could kind of paraphrase this to say, are you, have you forgotten that you are sons? You are children of God. And he's zeroing in on this because this can really be a source of soul weariness when we forget who we are. We, when we get weary of soul, what starts to happen? We start to lose our sight of who we are, and then all of a sudden everything goes askew. We're, we lose our spiritual balance. Um, we lose our ability to interpret the world rightly. We lose our ability especially to interpret the suffering that's coming upon us correctly. So these are three different ways in which our souls can become weary. Souls, right? Not just our bodies, but our souls can become weary. And you know this is happening to you when these are the things you start saying. When you get jaded. When you become cynical about other people and you say, yeah, I figured. That's a sign of soul weariness. Or when you become jaded about yourself. Yeah, I knew I'd mess that one up. It's a sign of soul weariness. Or when you become bitter towards God. Like, God, where are you? I mean, have you... If you'd like forgotten me, do you care anymore? <laughs> it's a sign of soul weariness. Or prayerlessness. What's the point? I've tried to pray and it doesn't work. That's a sign of soul weariness, that joy has been lost. And isn't it true that when we're going through a long slog of some kind of difficult battery of 
of trials and suffering, it's really hard to avoid those thoughts. It's very hard to persevere in joy. It's, it's It's very natural, not good, but very, like, doable, um, just comes to us to start asking, is God even aware of all this? Is he just abandoning me to be the devil's punching bag here? I mean, that's, that's probably what Job was feeling. So how do we endure? How do we keep our joy? How do we keep from soul weariness, even when life is really piling it on? How do we keep refreshed, even when life feels like the spiritual equivalent of a long walk through the Sahara Desert, a dry and weary land where there is no water. And that brings us to second point, sources, ongoing sources of soul renewal. When our bodies are weary, what do we need? We need food, we need rest. What do we need when our souls are weary? Well, we do need to take care of our bodies, so it may just be soul, it may may be food and rest, (laughs) sleep. But there's also what God gives to our souls very directly, which is truth. Truth, in the scriptures, truth is the equivalent of a wonderful, big container of water for us to drink when our throats are parched. Truth is what refreshes our souls. And here are two truths from Hebrews 12. First is in really the whole text, 5 through 11, and it's about how God wants us to interpret our sufferings. He's going to tell us the truth about how to view these sufferings and trials. He wants us, so here's the big idea, He wants us to see these trials not as signs of His disfavor, but as signs of His favor and of His love. What What's the common thread in all those soul-weary things I was just saying? There was a certain view of suffering that's going to sap our life. It's this idea of running through all of it. It's the, it's the dark undercurrent of it all that God has basically given up on us. He's abandoned us. He's no longer seeking our good. And, of course, it's really easy to think that when things are not going well, when we've lost all that is good or much that is good and enjoyable in this life. Think about Job, Right? Losing his kids, losing his health, losing his position, losing his wealth. All these things piling up, right? It's not exactly the moment where you're going to naturally say, wow, God loves me. (laughs) It's just not not something that we're naturally going to think. And yet, what are our sufferings going to want us to say? It's going to say this, God has abandoned you. These things are happening to you because God's upset with you and he's done with you. And God wants us to hear something very, very different. And he uses this metaphor of a father disciplining a son. Now think about that. Discipline. It always is painful. Whatever the discipline is, whether it's a physical consequence like spanking or a lost privilege or this unwanted extra chore, there's, there's always an element of pain or it isn't discipline, right? And yet, here's the thing, and this is what the author wants us to think about why do parents do that? Like, well, why should they do that? <laughs> why should they do that? Why do they, in, it's, it's really paradoxical, right? If parents love kids, why would they intentionally bring pain on them? Well, it's not because they hate them. It's because they love them. 
How can that be? Proverbs 13, 24 puts it very starkly. It says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So what he's saying to us is, look, if you don't do this, if you don't bring pain, it's not just that pain can be a vehicle of love. It's also if you don't bring pain when they do wrong, in whatever way is appropriate to their age and the thing that they did and everything, then if if you're not bringing pain when they do wrong, then it shows that you don't actually love them. And that's what verse 8 is saying. If you're left without discipline, if you're left without discipline, in other words, no pain, then that means you are actually illegitimate children and not truly sons. And I, I think if we start to internalize this, and really wrap our heads around it, it's going to completely reverse our view of suffering. We look at unbelievers, and they're living this, like, luxurious life, and we're like, God, why are you so nice to those people who hate you, and then look at my life? And yet, think about Romans 1. This is a scary passage, Romans 1, second half. What is it, remember what it says about people who are under God's judgment? When they are not God's children, when they are under God's judgment, they are children of wrath, what does it say happens to them? It says God gives them over to their sin. He lets them go. It's like, okay, you guys, you want to do this? I'm not going to stop you. I'm going to, you want to go after that stuff? I'm not standing in your way. So having, think about that, having an easy life, in other words, where a life where you're sinning and getting away with it, that's not, a, that's not a good thing. That's not a sign of God's love. That's a sign of God's judgment. And in contrast, when God stands in our way and when he sends, judge, sends suffering into our life, that's actually a sign of his love. Verse 6, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. And I should tell you that word, chastise, is an example of sometimes translators kind of gloss over the intensity of a word. It's deeper than chastise. It's, it's the word that's used for when Jesus was whipped by the Roman soldiers with the scourge. Like, serious pain. And yet, what is it saying here? He scourges, he whips the child in whom he delights. Like trying to internalize what is this saying. And, and for some, some of you who have experienced abuse from fathers or other people who should have been looking out for your good, it's very, very hard to imagine a loving God bringing pain and actually doing it for the sake of love because your experience of pain from authority people has been not redemptive. It's been not about your good. It's been about this person and their insecurity. Um, It's not been an experience of redemptive pain that leads you into righteousness. Instead, it's it's been this out-of-control thing that's been humiliating for you, and it's all about the abuser and their problems. We need to get that out of our head. And what we need to think is, and this is what this passage is saying, that when God brings pain intentionally into our lives, it is always for our good. Always. 
Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So this is the first word of refreshment for us from this passage. Remembering the character of our Heavenly Father. Remembering the kind of God that he is. That when he brings stuff into our lives that don't feel good, that it's like, I'm really having a hard time seeing this as love. We still need to treat it as from him, as truly loving. Why? Because we're his children. It's a sign not of our being abandoned by him. It's actually a sign of our sonship, that we belong to him. He's treating us as a, as, a, as a true child. The way a parent, because they love the child, says to them, I'm doing this for you, I'm, I'm bringing this pain upon you, not because I like doing this, but because I don't want you to continue in this destructive path that will destroy you. And so the discipline is this loving, loving little taste of the awfulness of judgment that will come if we persevere in that sin. And it's that loving taste of, like, the wages of sin is death. I love you too, not, too much to let you continue in this. That's why I'm bringing this upon you, so that you would repent and change. He's doing it redemptively for our good. And if we get that, it refreshes us, and we don't get weary under his discipline, and we don't misinterpret his discipline. Second source of refreshment is to consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. This is verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And he's wanting us to remember the sufferings of the cross. And he's wanting us to look at that, and he says right after that, you have not yet endured such hostility unto the point of shedding of blood. And we know from chapter 10 that what was happening, they were having their goods plundered, this early church that the letter of Hebrews was written to. They're having their goods plundered by the civil authorities, probably because they're Christians. And he said, look, you're, you're facing all this hostility. It's not fun. But remember, you haven't suffered to the extent that Jesus has suffered. And they, he's wanting us to look and think about Jesus' suffering, which is so much greater than ours always will be. Our suffering will always be less than his. And he's wanting us to say, remember the one who endured the worst suffering of all and think about the father's attitude towards the son. Did Jesus endure all of that because the father is like, ah, I'm done with him? <laughs> the exact opposite. He endured all of that. And in enduring it, the father was deeply, deeply pleased with the son and his sacrifice. Remember Philippians 2? The son because he was obedient to the point of death, even shameful death on a cross, because remember our chapter, chapter 12, where he says, um, you know, he despised the shame of the cross and for the joy set before him. You know, because Jesus did all that, the Father is so deeply pleased with Jesus. He's not sending that because he's not pleased with Jesus. He's deeply pleased that Jesus was willing to go even to the cross for us. And this refreshes us when we remember Hebrews 10. It was fitting that he, Hebrews 2.10, it is fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, in other words, the Father, 
it was fitting that he, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation, Jesus, perfect through suffering. So what, what I'm trying to get at is when we look at Jesus, you see the firstborn son, the founder and perfecter of our faith, the most beloved of the Father, and we see him enduring far more suffering than we ever will have to endure. In other words, suffering and being beloved of God go together. They don't contradict each other. And so consider Jesus. Consider Jesus, and it will keep you from growing weary under the Father's discipline. We will not misinterpret the suffering when we remember Jesus. And indeed, remembering Jesus and the fact that he was willing to suffer for us is the great and decisive proof that all of that suffering really is for our good. All the suffering that you're enduring right now, how do you know for sure that it is not because God has just given up and see you later? How do you know for sure? Consider Jesus, the cross. Consider the extent to which God the Father, Son, and Spirit were willing to go for you. And when you internalize the cross and you say, wow, that's what God was willing to do for me, then you look at all these other things that are going on in your life and you're like, okay, I cannot interpret these things as anything other than the loving discipline of a good father who's seeking my good even though I don't really see how. The cross becomes the great grid with which we view our entire lives. And that is refreshing. Now if we get this, and we get these sources of refreshment, it will lead to refreshment if we internalize them. How do we internalize them? How do we take these things I've been saying, these truths, and make them really part of us? And the first and most important thing is very obvious. It's to come to Jesus. To come to him. He says, Matthew 11, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. He's not just talking about like physical weariness. He's talking about heavy laden of soul and I will give you rest. He will never turn you aside. He will never say, oh, you're so tired. Get your act together, then come back. <laughs> he, he invites us when we're tired to come to him and then receive the re refreshment of soul that only he can give. And as we're receiving that, as we're internalizing, wow, this is the kind of savior we have. He's not the one who makes us get all our act together first, but he, he welcomes us just as we are. Then we learn that there are certain disciplines of soul that will help us to keep from growing weary. First is this. We need to see everything that comes at us in life as ultimately from a loving Father. Everything that comes at you, you must interpret as from a good and loving Father. And this is a really important part of this passage where he's kind of re-describing, kind of redirecting um, the things that are happening to these people. These people, what are happening? There's all these sinful people who are wrongly hurting them. And what does he say here? Well, those people really are doing those things. But who's the ultimate agent behind all those sinful actions of wicked people? Actually, God. That's kind of amazing, right? And that's what, what uh, Joseph said about his brothers. He said, you meant it for evil but God meant it for good. So you can have people who are truly evil and truly sinning, and yet God is using that 
sinful action for a good and loving purpose. Not that God is being sinful. He's using that sinful thing in his amazing sovereignty for you and for your good. And so, when you understand this and you embrace the full sovereignty of God over every single thing that happens in life, absolutely everything, he's sovereign over it all, then it will change how you process hard things. You will stop saying in bitterness, God, where are you? Why are you doing this to me? Instead, you'll be saying something like, okay, Lord, I don't know why this is happening, but I know this is for my good. What are you trying to show me, Lord? I want to understand. I mean, isn't that what we hope with our, our kids as parents? Isn't that what we hope, that they won't say, why are mom and dad being so mean? Instead, we would hope that they would say, maybe I don't understand something here, and that's why this is happening to me. What have I not yet learned? Right? We're hoping that that pain will create that teachable moment. Like, maybe I need to figure something out here. And that's what we need to start saying to God. When we realize that everything is happening for us for our good, then he must mean something good. What's he trying to show me? Second is this. We need to be very careful with what we say to ourselves about our pain. How you think about God during those times of pain and suffering is so important. I remember one of my counseling profs back at Westminster used to say, listen to God talk when people are describing their pain. Listen to what they say about God. Here's what God is not saying to you in the midst of pain. Come on, get going. Why do I always have to whip you to get you to do what you want to do? And I can't, can't tell you how many people over the years who I've heard say to me, they're going through something really hard, I must be doing, God must be punishing me. I must be doing something that is just earning his anger. Not what he's trying to say through this. No, punishment, punishment implies justice. It implies wrath. It implies paying you back for something you did wrong. Discipline, do you understand this? Discipline is entirely different. You can have done something really wrong, and the pain is because you did something wrong, and yet discipline is entirely different. It's remedial. It's for fixing us. It comes with a different message. In discipline, God is saying, I love you too much to let you continue this direction. And again, we have to get out of our head the earthly fathers and other authority figures who have never said that to us in our pain. We need to just dismiss that from our minds. That's not the God that we serve. Instead, we need to think about this pain as coming from a good and loving Father. We need to be careful how we talk about our pain. And then finally, third, we should not grow weary in the Lord's discipline. Do not grow weary in the Lord's discipline. This is a discipline of heart. If the pain is not letting up, we need to not say, okay, God, I think I figured out what you're trying to tell me. Please turn it off now. We need to not grow weary. Sometimes the Lord's purposes are impossible for us to fathom, and it's so important that you hear this point. Sometimes the pain that comes upon us is because we have sinned and God's showing something to us we need to repent, sometimes. But the Lord's purposes are mysterious and hard to fathom, and there are times when the suffering is simply for reasons we will never know until glory. Um, Sometimes Paul tells us, that like he suffered simply because this is how the kingdom is going to be advanced. He says in Colossians um, that, that 
the sufferings he was enduring, we're thinking of all the shipwrecks and the, the beatings and the stonings and being out in the cold and everything like that. He says it was to make the word of God fully known. So the kingdom was advancing through this apostle's suffering. It wasn't because he'd sinned. It was simply he's following a suffering Savior, and this is the way the kingdom comes. And so we don't grow weary in the Father's discipline. We don't assume we always understand why he's sending it. We know that he'll be with us in it. We need to internalize that he loves us relentlessly. He loves us more intensely and pursues us more intensely than we will ever pursue him. It won't sometimes feel like love, but it is. He will never stop loving you. He will never stop sanctifying you. He will never stop making you like Jesus. And in the end, look at the fruit. Holiness. The discipline will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Verse 11. That beautiful fruit of Christian maturity often, indeed, dare I say always, cannot come any other way except through suffering. Don't grow weary under the Father's discipline. It's going in a good place. He has a redemptive purpose for you. All that he does, he does for your good. Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand our lives in light of what you've spoken. To really let your word be the interpretive grid that powers all of our thoughts and all of our doings. We pray that we would know you as the loving father that you are. And that we trust your, your discipline even when it's hard. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.